the difficulty that we encounter is that we have one term that we use, mm-hmm. and it's the same term that other Christians use. Right. So the term Trinity, yeah, which I think in general just uh, describes the basic concept of there are three divine persons, mm-hmm. personalities, and they're they're one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the question, of course, means what does it mean that they are one? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it what does it mean that there are three persons? Yeah. How do we understand the term person? Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast for curious faith discussions. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, check out our discussion with Dr. Trevor Oregio on the history of the African-American religious experience and the development of the Black Church in America. This week, our guest is Dr. Dennis Kaiser, the Assistant Professor of Church History at Andrews University and a specialist in Adventist history. Our topic of discussion for today is the evolution of the doctrine of the Trinity in the Christian Church, particularly among the pioneers of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Recommended readings for the week include the book Trinity, Understanding God's Love, His Plan of Salvation, and Christian Relationships by Woodrow Wyden, John Reeve, and Jerry Moon. If you're not already following us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, you can find us at the handle at AdventNext. My co-host today is Max Aka. You can follow him at Maxwell Cozen. And as always, I'm your host, Kendra Arsenal, and this is Advent Next. I didn't necessarily grow up in the church. So the first 10 years, um, like, I didn't go to the Adventist church. I didn't know anything about God or the church. Uh, my mom became an Adventist, or became an Adventist again, in a way, when I was about 10, 12 years old. And so then eventually... Um, I joined her, went to the church, and so on. But honestly, I didn't really know about the Bible or uh, God, or God. There are some things that I kind of learned, uh, and I think it was about 1993 that I had some experiences that showed me there is a God, and uh, I can trust His Word. I can trust the Bible, and so um, then I began to study. And then 1995, I was baptized. Hmm. And it's interesting that I was baptized and basically in two years I had studied all kinds of things, yeah. Uh, even though from t- today's perspective it's not much, but at least back then these two years of studying the Bible and other things gave me such a jump that often I seem to know more than people that grew up in the church. Mm. Mm. So 1995 in the fall I was baptized, already 1996, so basically one year later, several of my friends, they um, began to study the topic of the Trinity. Mm. And they began to doubt whether whether the church's position, the Adventist church's position on the topic is, is correct. And here I have to give a little bit of background because uh, where I'm from, from Germany, uh, in the early 1990s there were a number of things that kind of happened that undercut and undermined the trust of people in the church and the church's leaders and trained theologians and so on. So basically there was one that was uh, dealing with the charismatic movement. And mm. so there were some a few church leaders who kind of got involved in that. And so then, of course church members lose trust. Yeah. Mm. Then the next thing was that uh, they discovered that uh, some church leaders had uh, gone into like the uh, ecumenical movement and tried to bring the Adventist church into that, uh, as a member into that uh, movement and so on. Gotcha. So they, once again, church members left, uh, lost trust. The third thing that happened kind of broke for many people the camel's neck. Whereas before some people left the church, when they, uh, because they're already distrusting church leaders, when they discovered that the early Adventist pioneers were not Trinitarians. Mm-hmm. They said, okay, so then the Adventist church teaches uh, apostasy and um, this is wrong and so we can't worship anymore with other members of the church. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And so a number of my friends left the Adventist church. 
So um, I studied the same topic as well. I came to the same conclusions. Mm. Of course, from today's perspective, I have to say I didn't really know a lot. <laughs> but then discovering new things, it gives you this feeling of like, wow, I discovered something new. This is, this is interesting. This is important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so um, like them, I began to write my letter of resignation. Wow. Okay. That I wanted to turn into the pastor and then leave the Adventist church. Wow. Um, so where were you going to go? Were you just going to start like an? Oh yeah, I had like friends, uh, mm -hmm. and they were meeting like at home and um, having like worship at home and so on. So I thought, okay, I just joined them, but there were a couple of things that kind of kept me back. Uh, on one hand, when uh, I looked at their letters of resignation as an example for how I could do it. I felt that uh, some of the arguments that they used had gaps mm. and um, wouldn't really satisfy and uh, like somebody who's a Trinitarian. So I said, if we do this, we have to do this right. Mm. right. So there shouldn't be any gaps in the argumentation and has to be convincing so that even the pastor is convinced in the end. Yeah? Mm. <laughs> so uh, I sat down and tried to fill the gaps. The problem was the more I studied, the more I realized that there were issues. Mm. And, um, and I realized that there were also methodological issues. Mm. For example, um, some of my friends, when they encountered statements from uh, in the Bible or in the writings of Ellen White that didn't fit our anti-Trinitarian paradigm of God, they said, okay, so these statements must have been forged. Mm. And when you say anti-Trinitarian mm -hmm. uh, version of God, what was that in your mind at that time? Oh, basically uh, the idea was that there's only one true God and that's uh, the Father. And then Jesus, um, he was at some point um, begotten or he emanated um, from the Father in, uh, in his pre-existence, so before he became human. And then the Holy Spirit is not a person, but the Holy Spirit is the, the Spirit that is coming to the Father and the Son. Yeah. So okay. that's basically the idea. Did you so, say come out of the Father and the Son? Um, Coming. So the Holy Spirit, would, is, uh, the Spirit that is coming to the Father and the uh, Son uh, could be sent out. Yeah? Gotcha. Mm. But it's not a separate uh, individual person or so. Yeah? Gotcha. And Jesus, in that sense, has a beginning in time. Yeah? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I was talking about these methodological issues yeah. where I said, the problem is if I just declare something to be a forgery because it doesn't fit my, my, um, like my mindset, but I have no actual evidence for that. I take away the carpet under my feet because I believe that God will provide um, sufficient evidence to, to believe something or to base our belief on that. Mm. Not necessarily that all kinds of uh, questions could be are solved or that um, there is no possibility to doubt or so, but that there's sufficient evidence. Yeah? But if basically I have actual documents from, let's say, the 19th century, yeah, um, can I just say, yeah, that was a forgery if I have no clues or evidence for that? Mm. And so, um, so for myself, I said, I can't just make this jump because if I do that, I take away the carpet under my feet. Mm. Mm. So I need to look for evidence to show that uh, there, there were forgeries. And the more I looked, the more I searched, the more materials I found that didn't fit my paradigm. Interesting. Mm. And the same was also true with the Bible, that I realized there's, yes, you have different manuscripts and so on, but still I can't just uh, ignore certain passages. And so um, I pursued this personal study for a period of five years. And wow. then at the end, so my mindset gradually changed, but in the end I said, I think there's actually a biblical trinity. Wow. The term is not found in the Bible, 
but the concept is there. Mm. One other issue that I discovered was um, when I met with my friends and let's say for worship or also in other situations, I felt that there was often a spirit of criticism, mm. a very critical spirit, making fun of other people and so on. And so eventually I said, um, why should I leave the Adventist church, um, even in my study process, if there is nothing better outside? Okay. Now, I don't want to suggest that everybody who um, um, is an anti-Trinitarian is a mean person. No, I don't say that. Sure. Mm. Or is a critical person who has a critical spirit. No, I don't say that. It just I'm talking about my group where I observed that. Yeah. Mm. And where I said, yes, I agree with you that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, but it would be nice to see that spirit working in your experience. Mm. And I think that's often the disconnect between, let's say, theology, things that we believe, mm -hmm. And on the other hand, um, what we actually do, how we interact and so on. Right. Wow. Yes, theology has an impact on, uh, let's say, our lives and our relationships, mm -hmm. but that is not an absolute law. Right. So some people, they hold wrong views. They're still very nice and loving individuals. Yeah? Mm -hmm. But uh, there's the potential that it has an impact on how we relate to one another. Yeah? Mm -hmm. wow. So, but that was kind of my journey. Um, coming into the church and then being um, shortly afterwards confronted with, um, in a way, anti-Gentarianism, and I adopted it, embraced it, and thought, okay, um, like, for me, this was like, it gave me identity. Mm. Like, I felt closely connected to the early Adventist pioneers. Mm. So, because we are trusting the, like, church leaders today, we are trusting, distrusting the um, theologians or trained scholars today, but who can we trust? Mm. And so, since we believe that God led the Adventist pioneers, um, then we thought that, uh, therefore, they must have been right in everything. Mm -hmm. wow. But, of course, that's also based on a very monolithic, static view of Adventist history. Right. Mm. Um, Doesn't give it room to grow or change. Right, it has to right. be very static. And when you look closely at it, you will see, okay, people studied, continue to study, grew in their understanding, and so on. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Wow. It sounds like, you know, that I'm thinking of the verse, you know, be either hot or cold. You know, it seems like mm -hmm. when you became anti-Trinitarian, you were hot and, and oh, you're yeah. going to research and you're going to do everything you can to really kind of have a grounding on that foot, footing, uh, footing in that ground. <laughs> and I think that that really helped kind of develop the theology. You didn't just stop at some point, mm -hmm. uh, but you continued to grow. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because you, you touched on kind of the details of what shape, like what that form of anti-Trinitarianism looked like. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned two parts one being kind of what you'd think of as classic Arianism, like Jesus was created essentially at some point in history, at some point in finite time, way before the rest of us, but, you know, he came into being. And then the other part being the non-personhood of the Holy Spirit. And I know that, like, I've observed that later part, like questions about, mm -hmm. hey, is the Holy Spirit more like the force or something? Um but I do those two pieces go hand in hand? Like, is it, do they necessitate each other? Or can you have belief in the full divinity of Christ, but not the personhood of the Holy Spirit? I think that there is a connection often. Okay. But um, actually, I think we need to distinguish between Arianism and um, semi-Arianism. Okay. <laughs> because Arianism is the idea that uh, Christ is a created being. He is basically... Um, he may have been like a special human being, but and then he was adopted by God and the Logos came into him or something okay. like that. Uh, but he's basically a created being. Mm -hmm. Now, um, the early Adventist anti-Tentarians and as well as the modern Adventist anti-Tentarians in general 
they would say, no, Christ is not a created being. Mm -hmm. They would say Christ um, is divine because he came forth from the Father. He emanated from the Father. Interesting. So he's God's true son. And in that sense, he has all the attributes of the Father. Hmm. Therefore, he's divine. Yeah. Right. And so um, in that sense, you have people who emphasize Jesus' divinity, mm -hmm. but in a different way than... Uh, we would generally say that as Trinitarians, yeah? Like they wouldn't say he was co-eternal with the Father. Right, okay. they wouldn't say that. But I think also here we need to be careful because uh, there are different versions of the doctrine of the Trinity. Right. And so for some people, they um, they would talk about uh, the Trinity and they would say, yes, I believe in the Trinity. But when you look at their view of, um, let's say, the nature of the Son or the nature of the Holy Spirit, you realize that they still have the idea that somehow the sun came into being at some point. Hmm. But they still are Trinitarians. Right. But in general, I think when we think about the broader concepts, and I assume we will later talk about that, yeah. um, then we will see that um, I think a belief in the co-eternity is actually crucial. Yeah? Hmm. And this is it's really important for us to lay a broad foundation for this. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a debate people have been talking about for centuries now. Mm -hmm. uh, the divinity of Christ, the person of Holy Millennia. Spirit. Millennia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so if, if you could, uh, you know, give us some insight into what were the Trinitarian, anti-Trinitarian debates coming out of the, the first century? And we'll kind of move throughout history in that, mm -hmm. in that way. So basically, um, I mean, I don't want to claim that I'm an early church historian or so. Um, I'm an Adventist historian, yeah. But um, at least based on my my knowledge of, of let's say, the first couple of centuries, what mm -hmm. we see is that there's um, most discussions in the first, I would say, three, four centuries were not really concerning the Holy Spirit, but they were focused on Christ. And so um, there were questions whether Jesus is um, basically a human being, just a human being, who was somehow became kind of divine, when at his baptism, he was filled with the divine logos. Like know? an adoptionist Christology. Yeah, so basically he uh, was adopted as a son of God or so. Yeah. On the other hand, you have other people who said, um, no, Christ uh, wasn't fully human. He was actually divine. He had just appeared as a human. Mm. And so there you have kind of an emphasis on one hand of his humanity, on the other hand of his divinity. And so it's um, so kind of discussions during the first, I would say, three yeah, two or three centuries uh, are oscillating between these two extremes. Mm. Gotcha. And so eventually then, of course, you have uh, Arius in the late third, early fourth century, and he's arguing that Christ is a, uh, actually is not divine, but he is a um, created being. Mm -hmm. But he was a special created being and was somehow uh, kind of chosen by God and given the title Son of God. Mm. Now, of course, there's a little caveat, and we have to say that most of the things that we know about these different groups in early Christian history, we know but from sources that people wrote about these people. Right. Mm -hmm. So from their enemies. Yeah. But uh, they're quoting them and so on. If we assume that those quotes are correct, then this is kind of would be representative of their beliefs. So you have Arius who kind of emphasizes Jesus as a creator being. Mm -hmm. And then you have in response eventually then Athanasius who, um, who says, no, Christ is not a creator being, but how do... Like, how can we show that Christ is not a created being? Mm. And so one thing that we see in these early centuries is that um, the church fathers, they adopted often um, Greek language, mm -hmm. like Greek philosophical language, often even Greek, uh, the Greek mindset mm -hmm. from philosophy to 
explain Christian beliefs. Mm-hmm. And so they then said that uh, basically Christ is divine because he emanated from the Father, mm. which sounds very much like Samarianism. Right. Now, in order to make sure that Christ doesn't have a beginning, they said, so and all of that happened in timelessness. Right. Okay. Which means that Christ emanates, emanated, emanates from the Father, right. but it's happening all the time because Eternally he's outside begotten. of time. And so um, you have the eternal generation of Christ, which means he's like generated all the time. Right. Mm. And uh, thereby he's fully divine. Mm. But you can still uphold the idea that begottenness has something to do with emanation, with coming out yeah, of the Father and so on. Mm. And so that's what actually I think many people don't realize when you look at the Nicene Creed and like three, um, 325 AD, where it says that, uh, of course, it's written against Arianism, against the idea that Christ is a created being, mm-hmm. and they emphasize begottenness, and they emphasize that um, Jesus is God from God. Mm. Yes. Which means that um, he comes out of the Father. Yeah? Mm. Mm. And of course, for us, we are like we think in terms of like, uh, we have a very materialistic view today, mm. but like, how does that work? Yeah. But for them, basically, everything that is divine is immaterial. Right. You don't have a body, you don't have space, you don't have uh, time. In fact, uh, because all of that is based on the um, like Greek philosophical notions that um, perfection is something that is um, like 100%. It can't get, can't get better than that. Mm-hmm. So there is no change. So right. there can't be any change when it comes to space or a no change in terms of time, mm-hmm. as well as there can't be any change in terms of uh, emotions. Mm. So that's why when the Bible says God is love, they would say, yeah, that's a principle. It's not really that he has emotions or so. Yeah? Mm. And so um, so in that sense, uh, for them, when it says Christ emanated from the Father, it's the idea that somehow they're in this timeless, spaceless, ethereal realm, whatever, yeah. um, you have like one spirit coming out of another spirit. Yeah? Mm-hmm course we wouldn't agree with that but right, uh, that right. those are kind of how they try to explain and make sure yeah christ is divine yeah? mm-hmm. and so that continues um in the like fifth century sixth century you have discussions about does christ have one nature does he have two natures yeah? right. is he one person is he divine are there two and persons him? in him and so mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. when he died was uh was just one nature that died or both natures that died and so these kinds of questions Mm-hmm. And then uh, once that has been, has been settled, then the Holy Spirit comes into the picture. Not that he wasn't there before, but then questions. Uh, well, basically, they are very brief and they say, yeah, the Holy Spirit is also a person and uh, he's one of the three and so on. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It's not that it took that long for the concept of the Trinity to develop because already in the late uh, second century, um, you have Tertullian who talks about the triad and so on. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Now, the language is not biblical, but in the Bible, we seldom have technical language. Right. We just try to somehow um, capture what we see there, the phenomena, and try to find terms to kind of capture that and grasp that. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, um, but I, th- I think you, you kind of raised the interesting thing about the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. which is that he's kind of... Francis Chan published a book a few years ago called Forgotten God, mm. kind of how the Holy Spirit ends up being kind of the the afterthought of the trinity mm-hmm. for many christians even like the the nicene creed he's like aligned like oh yeah the holy spirit there is one that's it yep. and then yep. 381 the 
Council of Constantinople. I'm mm-hmm. a nerd for this. But um, yeah, that's when they started kind of fleshing it out. But like, oh, yeah, we should actually say something about the Holy Spirit rather than just there is one. So it's kind of, it, you definitely see that focus definitely on mm-hmm. Jesus foremost and then other things much later, which I think is interesting. I mean, you you raised a point like we wouldn't agree with the idea of Christ eternally being begotten by the Father in some kind of nebulous Mm -hmm. sense. So where, I mean, maybe people listening are like, oh, so what do Adventists think? Because it it would be very easy to just Mm -hmm. absorb kind of a Nicene understanding of things. So where where do we actually sit? And obviously there's kind of a 19th century shaped Mm kind of plot hole in there too. So, I mean, you can definitely talk about what's Adventist Trinitarianism been like. I think um, the difficulty that we encounter is that we have one term that we use Mm -hmm. and it's the same term that other Christians use. Right. So the term Trinity, yeah, which I think in general just uh, describes the basic concept of there are three divine persons, Mm -hmm. personalities, and they're they're one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the question, of course, means what does it mean that they are one? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it what does it mean that they are three persons? Yeah. Well, how do we understand the term person? Right. And uh, at least from today's perspective, we can say that Adventists um, believe in three co-eternal persons, mm-hmm. which means that um, they have always existed, mm-hmm. and that they are so unified in their um, planning, thinking, and acting that they're truly one. Yeah. Mm. Now that is very basic. That doesn't say how they were co-eternal. Right. So I'm just referring to the Seventh-day Adventist beliefs here, now that we have the fundamental beliefs. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is a question that um, what does theologians may discuss. So in general, Mm -hmm. general we would say, yes, we believe in three co-eternal persons. Does it mean that that it was similar to the Catholic view with uh, timelessness and so on? Mm -hmm. Or do we have a rather temple view? So... That's something that is, you could say, up for discussion. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then also, how do we conceive um, a divine personhood? Right. Um, of course, we understand like person in terms of like something that is material, like we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. When we look at Jesus, at least in his incarnation, um, in his glorified body, um, like after the resurrection, he appears uh, in the room of the disciples. How did he get in? Yeah? Oh, we don't know. He had a body, people could touch him, but he was able to walk through walls. So in that sense, uh, I think there are things that just are beyond what, uh, beyond our understanding or beyond our um, experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of like just uh, the basic modern day Adventist understanding. And I think later we will talk more about these aspects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Of course, when we get to early Adventist history, I think what we find is um, to kind of, Maybe give a little bit of the history there. Yeah, mm-hmm. please. Uh, because that's my specialty. Yeah, yeah let's do <laughs> it. Yes, yes, yes. Um, when we look at uh, the 1840s, late 1840s, those people that became the original founders of Seventh-day Adventism or of the Sabbatarian Adventist movement, how we call it, right? Um, two of these three main founders uh, came from what we call the Christian Connection. Mm-hmm. And the Christian Connection was uh, arose in the early 19th century, and so they basically said we reject all kinds of philosophy, um, like uh, creeds, um, things that are not biblical, even unbiblical language. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they rejected all kinds of things, because it's often easier to reject something completely than to kind of go there and dissect and say, okay, this aspect is correct, that one is not, and so on. Mm-hmm. So one thing that they, one doctrine that they rejected was the Trinity. Mm-hmm. 
And so Joseph Bates, James White, who came from the Christian connection, mm-hmm. they rejected the Trinity. Interestingly, that subject um, was not a topic of discussion in the late 1840s because they were studying other topics like the sanctuary, third right. angel's message, second coming of Christ. Uh, so these kinds of topics. Big on prophecy. Big on prophecy and yeah. so on. Yeah. Um, but basically, so they are in what we call anti-Trinitarians, um, the way how he described it, the, like Christ emanated from the Father and so on. So they understood the term begotten, like Christ is the only begotten Son of God, in terms of a, you could say, a chronological understanding, mm-hmm. that Christ had a beginning in time. Yeah? Right. Now, Ellen White is kind of, uh, there's a question, because she uh, comes from the Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. Now she was still, you could say, a child, a teenager, so it's unclear how strong her, let's say, understanding was of the deeper theological questions um, and doctrines of the Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. But when we look at the next couple of decades, we see that many people who join the Adventist Church um, seem to become anti-Trinitarian. Mm-hmm. At least that's the impression that we get when we look at the Review and Herald, the main periodical of the church, that most articles that are published are anti-Trinitarian. Now, there are some, you could say, um, some differences or nuances in the church. Uh, Uriah Smith, who um, was probably the most longest uh, serving editor of the Revenant Herald, he, for example, initially was an Arian. Hmm. So he said Christ was the first created being. Wow. Later, he then says, uh, so that's like 1865 or so. Then in the mid-1870s, he says, yeah, um, yeah. some people, however, also believe that uh, they believe that Christ emanated from the Father, that he is in that sense divine because he is, uh, came forth from the Father. Both views are okay. Interesting. Hmm. And then later, you see the same section, especially in his uh, Revelation commentary, where he says that actually the Bible seems to suggest that Jesus was not a created being, hmm. but that he emanated from the Father. Hmm. Interesting. So he... He grew over the decades you know, right. um, and changed his perspective on that. You could say those are kind of like minor changes sure. in his experience. But uh, to my knowledge uh, and what I've studied so far, he was the only one that I found who actually held an Aryan position in the beginning. Hmm. The others held semi-Aryan positions. But even then, when you look at, let's say, micro-developments, you see that in the 1860s towards the end and then the early 1870s, some people began to talk more about the uh, equality of Christ with the Father. Interesting. Which they didn't in the 1850s or early 1860s. Hmm. It gets so far that, uh, for example, James White in 1876, where he says that, uh, he writes an article that's called Christ Equal with the Father, Equal with God, where he says that before his incarnation, Christ was equal to the Father. During his incarnation, he submitted to the Father. After his incarnation, when he went back to heaven, he was again equal with the Father. And so he says, yeah, the Trinity is, is problematic, but what is worse is Unitarianism. Hmm. Because they make Christ inferior to the Father. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. And so you have these, you could say, micro-developments. Yeah? Um, one individual in, I think, also 1876, um, E. Goodrich, he writes to the review, his letters published, and he says that um, we believe in, um, how is it? We believe in, in one God, and he's known to us as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the God we worship. And then he says, when we are baptized, we are baptized into the name of that God. 
um, who's known as the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Did Adventists at that time use that baptismal formula? Um, it seems to me that they did. But the question is, how do you interpret that? Yeah. yeah. And so, so he says that, and then he says um, that uh, this is a sign that when we are baptized in the name of that God, in that one name, yeah, mm. that we thereby renounce all types of uh, false and uh, apostate and wrong worship. Mm. You could say that statement that he makes is a Trinitarian statement. Right. He doesn't use the term. He doesn't uh, use the terminology, but the concept that he presents is Trinitarian. Right. Now, what type of Trinitarianism is unclear. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was a more modalist view that there is like uh, mm. one person and he appears in different modes. Yeah. Right. Um, maybe it's not clear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One, you could say, a prime example that uh, that I discovered that I think is uh, very interesting is the case of J. H. Wagner. Okay. He wrote an, um, like some things where he earlier on where he argues against the Trinity, but he doesn't attack the Trinity like uh, generally. He just focuses on one aspect, um, and he just says much could be said. I just focus on this one here. Yeah? But then uh, he is the only one who writes a whole book in 1877, I think, um, on the Spirit of God. Mm. Okay. And so that's quite unusual that somebody writes a whole book about the Spirit of God in early Adventism. Right. And so in that book, when he comes to the question of whether the Holy Spirit is a person or not, he says, um, since that question is controverted and discussed uh, because it's not clear how the term person should be defined, it's better not to say anything on that, time, uh, on that topic. And so oh. we better have a retiring position. Yeah. And it's like, so if you are so staunchly anti-Trinitarian, why can't you then just say the Holy Spirit is not a person? Mm. But he says, um, we better don't say anything because it's not clear how the term is defined. Mm. Two years later, he writes a letter to James White. And that's something that, that I kind of discovered. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And in that letter, he says, this question of the Holy Spirit's personality was never a question that I felt was really practical. However, um, in this discussion, whether Gabriel like the angel, mm -hmm. should be third or fourth in the uh, numbering, you know, like Father, Son, and then Gabriel, or maybe Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then maybe Gabriel. And he says, here it becomes practical, because I think when we look at the Bible, like Matthew 28, the Gospel Commission, um, there the Holy Spirit is played, placed third. In all kinds of passages, he's placed third. Yeah? Mm -hmm. um, he's presented in very personal forms. Mm -hmm. he, he, and then he basically describes what he does. And he says, um, yes, um, in the authorized version, like King James Version, he says um, um, the pronoun he is used. Perhaps that's immiscible. Yeah? <laughs> and then he says, yes, we say it. Maybe that's okay. But he has a will. He acts. He... Um, he uh, like uh, he judges and he, like he has all kinds of things that especially in Luke and the book of Acts are said about the Holy Spirit. So he refers to those, and he says, "So that sounds a lot like personality." Mm -hmm. And so Wagner, so that's J. H. Wagner, the father, mm -hmm. he leans strongly in the direction of saying the Holy Spirit is a person. Mm -hmm. In the end, he says, "I wish I knew what's right." Um, you know. I'm just, just a student. I'm willing to learn and convinced otherwise. Um, of course, I'm the one who wrote most about this, and he's saying that. <laughs> right. But I'm still willing to learn. Mm -hmm. So he's leaning in the direction 
but then he says, um, but uh, so he's very cautious. Yeah? Mm. So that's 1879. That's so quite early. Yeah? Right. Yeah. And so when you get into the 1880s, there's a stronger emphasis on um, stronger emphasis on Jesus, uh, justification, and the idea comes up: only somebody who is truly God can actually save us. Mm. So then, what about Jesus? And so there is a stronger emphasis uh, in the late 1880s and then into the 1890s on the div the divinity of Jesus. Now, when I say divinity of Jesus, it doesn't necessarily mean that the idea of emanation is fully gone. Mm. Okay. So it's still there, yeah? But the 1890s is the, the period of the Holy Spirit, kind of with an Adventism. More and more people begin to talk about the Holy Spirit. And when Ellen White is in Australia, already in the early 1890s, the earliest statement I found was 1890 and then 1891, where somebody says, so what do we Adventists believe in the Trinity? And the editor of the Bible, Echo and Science of the Times in Australia, he says that Seventh-day Adventists believe in the Trinity, and the Trinity consists of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Um, the way how he talks about the Holy Spirit is ambiguous. Right. Is the Holy Spirit a person, or is he a, uh, um, a just uh, like an influence or so? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so somebody replies and says, the way this is written gives the impression that this is heresy. So first when I read that, I'm like, oh, so probably the, the, the person thought the idea of the Trinity is heresy. No, the person who wrote focused on the specific aspect of the Holy Spirit because it seemed like that the statement could be read as if the Holy Spirit is not a person. Mm -hmm. And so the, uh, the editor replies to that uh, reaction and says, we didn't want to give the impression that the Holy Spirit is not a person. And actually in the way how we describe it, you can read that he is, uh, is a person and he's... Uh, in union with the Father and the Son and so on. Yeah? And, mm -hmm. okay. and so in the 1890s, this continues um, where people then make uh, explicit affirmations of the Trinity, um, of the full personhood of the Holy Spirit and the divinity of Jesus, often still with the aspect of emanation. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So this is like the 1890s, I think, where we see more and more material being written on this subject um, and that's where a paradigm shift happens. That doesn't mean that everybody now becomes a Trinitarian. That still takes a couple of decades. But when you look at Evans' publications, that's where you see the paradigm shift where basically uh, anti-Trinitarian statements disappear and make room for Trinitarian statements. Mm. And this happens basically um, like 20 years or so, around 20 years before Ellen White dies. So and it happens mm. under her supervision, kind of. Yeah. Mm. Was this... You know, the development of, of the Adventist understanding of the Trinity, how did that play in line with other denominations at that time? Were mm -hmm. they pretty much following the trend of what was happening? Or was there a new exploration of the Trinity at that time? I mean, how did that, how did they compare with their present culture? Um, it depends. Okay. Um, so when you look at the, let's say, um, 1840s, 1850s, um, when Adventists write against the Trinity, they often refer to the Methodist creed. Mm. And the Methodist creed um, had language that uh, I think could be understood in different ways because it said that God has no body and parts. Mm -hmm. And Adventist said, with a material mindset, but I mean, the Bible describes the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7. Mm -hmm. And it describes him like, and then the other passages that talk about his arm, they talk, present his him back, like his hand, his, hand his, his back, and so on. His, like, he has white hair, and so on. And also Jesus is presented in this like material way mm -hmm. uh, and they react against them. They say, yes, God has a body. 
course, the father has a body and he has he has uh, yeah, arms and legs and so on. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So they react against that. Of course, the question is, how was that meant? Yeah? Right. Was it meant in a, let's say, spiritual sense that uh, God is a spirit, so he has no body and parts? Mm -hmm. Or does it mean God is not just one person and he is not divided? So to kind of counteract ideas of modalism or tritheism. Uh, modalism, as I said before, mm -hmm. like he's one person and appears in different modes and different forms. Right. Or tritheism, where you have three divine three persons, but the way they are described um, is kind of similar to, let's say, Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between mythology and philosophy, mm -hmm. where you have all these gods and semi-gods that fight each other. Mm -hmm. So then you have no union. Um, interesting. I, I, I'm kind of fascinated by the, the question then of like, and maybe you can speak to this or not, but mm -hmm. like early Adventist cosmology and, and metaphysics, like do they have, is it a purely physicalistic view of God? Like, like when the Bible says God is spirit, does that mean something completely elusive to them? And does that have any effect on us today? Like do it is what we believe in, like a physicalistic view of, of God and the universe we inhabit, or is there, another, like you were describing earlier, Jesus mm -hmm. in his resurrection, there's some kind of weird, mysterious part of reality that we just don't have access mm -hmm. to. Um, is that the same thing or something different or something comparable to dualism? Or is, like, where, where do we think about that, cosmologically speaking? I mean, early Adventists are basically very strongly... Um, they are very strong materialists. Okay. Not in regards to, let's say, money, but in sure. terms of like, uh, in contrast to sp uh, spiritualizing views. Mm -hmm. So whereas, let's say, in Roman um, Catholic theology and then also in Protestant theology, there was a strong emphasis on the spiritual world mm -hmm. um, where basically uh, when the Bible talks about, let's say, a heavenly sanctuary, they're like, okay, like in heaven, there can't be a sanctuary because there can't be space. Right. Uh, when it means that we are resurrected or we go to God, um, it can't be in our body, it must be like in, uh, in spirit, mm -hmm. the immortal soul. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, and Adventists in that regard, they are very strongly um, saying, no, where God is, there is time and space. Mm -hmm. uh, so there can be a building. Yeah? Uh, when we die, um, we are dead. And when we are resurrected, we have the body again. When we go to God, we go with, to him with that body. Mm -hmm. gotcha. And uh, so in that sense... Um, their view of God was more materialistic. Mm -hmm. um, their view of heaven was materialistic uh, or material. Mm -hmm. Their view of Christ was material. Mm -hmm. And of course, once again, here, uh, when we look at the uh, time after the Great Disappointment, 1844, and the question is what actually happened there? There are some people who basically said, oh yeah, Christ actually came back in 1844. He came back spiritually. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And heaven is not a spiritual, it's not a material place. Actually, the millennium is already here. So the heavenly Jerusalem is already there. Yeah? And if James White in the winter walking through like three feet of snow and he says, I'm walking here through three feet of snow, <laughs> it doesn't feel like the heavenly Jerusalem. Yeah? <laughs> and so making fun of it kind of. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the react against that. And I think that's why they were so strong on um, materialistic or ma material views, physical views of, um, of heaven, of God, mm -hmm. and of ki all kinds of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, of course, when you look, let's say, deeper, we realize it's not that easy. Yeah? Mm. Mm. Um, 
there's one statement that comes to my, to my mind from um, 1898 from R.A. Underwood. And he writes about his, or alludes to his own experience discovering that the Holy Spirit is a person. Okay. And he says, I could never imagine how a spirit can be a person. Huh. Because in his mind, it was kind of like, it's either this or it's that. Yeah. Mm. And then he said, but when I studied how the word spirit is used in the Bible, I realized that it's not contradictory, but might be complementary. Mm. Because he said, God is a spirit, mm -hmm. but he is a person. Now, um, the evil angels, the demons, they are evil spirits, mm -hmm. but they are persons. Mm -hmm. The good angels... They are also, they are referred to as ministering spirits, but they are persons as well. Mm -hmm. So then if there is an evil spirit, a, a wicked spirit, an unholy spirit who is a person, why can't there be a holy spirit who is also a person? Mm. So, um, and I think sometimes we have this idea if like a spirit is kind of just like an influence, a force or something. But when you look at scripture, you realize it's more complex and it just uh, completely goes beyond our experience and what we know. Yeah. Mm. Wow. There's but that's biblical evidence. Yeah, so. Right. Thanks so much for listening in. Stay tuned for next week as we continue our discussion exploring the anti-Trinitarian movements in modern churches. We'll also provide some book recommendations if you'd like to further your study in the topic. Thanks again to the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible. And thank you for taking the time to listen in. If you have any questions or comments about today's program, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Advent Next. See you next week.